You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. Peter 5, we have just, uh, we're not going to finish 1 Peter 5 today, we're going to do the first part, and then we'll finish it up probably next week, and then we might have to go on to 2 Peter, that's where the, that's where the good stuff is, we might as well stay where the good stuff is, right? Um, we do, uh, we do have a baptism service, everybody got a pencil, you're ready to write, write this address down, it's uh, 8401 Cherokee Trail, 8401 Cherokee Trail, and I'll take the little church bus, if you don't want to ride yourself over there, you can ride with me and we'll... Well, 8401 Cherokee Trail, and we're going to do it at, uh, it's basically Daryl Smith's house. The house, actually the one right before that one, and um, it's got a little pier, and, and we can just go out there and, and use the place like it's ours. Nobody lives there, so we can go use it like it's ours, but looking forward to that, and we'll talk about that towards the end of the service. First Peter 4 and 17 is where we knocked off last week, and where we really were you know, it sounds negative, but um, we'll try to get it in a little bit more of a positive light before it's over. Um, judgment is never pleasant. Discipline is never pleasant. When we received it from our fathers, when we receive it from, um, you could receive it from a job, getting fired from a job, that'd be discipline. You can get, uh, you know, they can write you up and they can dock your pay and do all the things. It's judgment, discipline is never pleasant, but it is necessary to keep people on the, on the right path. If you want a certain level of performance from your employees, then you have to have a certain level of discipline that's allotted for that business, whatever they require to accomplish. Maybe it's a dress code or whatever uh, that they have to accomplish in order to get the, the right, whatever, presentation of the people as, they, as you serve other people. Look at verse 17, 4 verse 17. 1 Peter 4, 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? That's a good question. If you're going to get spanked, what about the unbelievers? In Jeremiah 25, 29, uh, I wanted to read you a couple things out of there. You might go ahead and flip there. Jeremiah 25, Isaiah, Isaiah Jeremiah, Ezekiel, it's those long books in the Old Testament. Isaiah 25, and it talks about a similar time, tragically. Men don't change. God doesn't change. Men don't change. We do the same thing that we've always done. Men always have. Men have always lusted after women. Men have always had greed problems. Men have always liked to eat. Men have always um, lot, been selfish and self-serving. Women have their, their flaws. When I say men, I mean men and women. We, we all got the same things. They've always been the same problem since the beginning of time. We want to know it all. We want to possess it all. We want to control it all. It's what we do. As men, that's what we do. But there's a message that we want to uh, attack this morning here in 1 Peter 5, where the pastors, what is the fault of the pastors in the people falling astray? I mean, God gave us from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. He, Adam and Eve had a shepherd. They had the good shepherd. They had God that daily met with them in the garden walked with them in the garden, talked with them in the garden, clothed them after they sinned, protected them, separated Cain from them in order to protect those that were his. He, they, we've always had a shepherd. Noah was the second shepherd. Moses was the next, you know, Abraham was a shepherd in a sense. Um, Jacob was a shepherd and bringing his family. Joshua or uh, uh, Joseph in Egypt was a shepherd of the people of Egypt and God's people, protecting both, you know, Moses and then the prophets after them. There's always been these shepherds that came along trying to care for God's people, those that are most important to God, those that desire relationship with God. God provides a shepherd for them. But this in Jeremiah 25 is very telling. Start at verse 29. For behold, I bring a calamity on the city which is called by my name, his own people for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of god that's what it said in peter now look in his own city there's a time to bring calamity on the city which is called by my name my own hometown i'm gonna i'm gonna pull their pants down and i'm gonna i'm gonna fire them up i'm gonna beat them and i'm gonna send them into captivity because they will not stop being rebellious they will not obey 
this city called by my name, should you not be utterly punished? Should you, church of God, that decides that you're going to live the way you want to live, separate from the Most High God and His directives, you know, I want to be saved, but I don't want to live like a saved person, should you not be punished? If you're His child, He says, otherwise you're a bastard son. He doesn't know you. You're not His. But if you're His and He knows you, then you better expect the, the belt. Because he loves you, he wants to keep you from destruction, so he disciplines us for the purpose of godliness. You shall not be unpunished, for I will call for a sword on all the inhabitants of the earth, said the Lord of hosts. And he starts talking to Jeremiah, prophesy against them with these words and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from the holy habitations. He will roar mightily against his fold, against the sheepfold, against his sheep, he's going to yell out. He will give a shout as those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise will come to the ends of the earth for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He's got a problem with how you're acting and he'll plead his case with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation and so on. And to that day, the Lord, verse 33, shall be from one end of the earth to the other. Verse 34, look what it says. Wail, shepherds, and cry. Roll about in the ashes, you leaders of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and your dispersions are fulfilled. You shall fall like a precious vessel, and the shepherds will have no way to flee, nor the leaders of the flock to escape. A voice of the cry of the shepherds and a wailing of the leaders to the flock will be heard, for the Lord has plundered their pasture, and the peaceful dwellings were cut down because of the fierce anger of the Lord. The pastors, the shepherds, were the ones at fault. We, I think it's pretty safe to conclude if we look at our culture and we look at the way that our country began, no matter what anyone tells you, young people, I'm telling you, our nation began as a God-fearing nation. The pilgrims came with the Magna Carta that they wrote out, and they wrote out this piece of paper that says, this is how we're going to act because we are God-fearing people. That's how the pilgrims came. And then the, the grand old men that, of 1775 and 76, they wrote the same stuff using the Magna Carta as the baseline, as one of the baselines, and the Bible as the other baseline. And they said, we're going to come up with a, a constitution and bylaws. Everybody dogs me about that, about the church. Can we see your constitution and bylaws? The constitution and bylaws of the United States of America is the Declaration of Independence and Constitution. And the reason we have that is because those guys took God's word, they took some other documents, including the Magna Carta, and they put them together, and they said, the best way that this is going to work is if we fear God and keep his commands, and if we're a righteous people, and they said, true freedom won't work unless it's over godly people, because ungodly people will take true freedom and rob banks, and look at Michigan, look at Seattle, look at Detroit. Look at uh, Chicago. Look what they're doing. That's what true freedom looks like. If I'm bigger than you and stronger than you, I kick in your window and I take your stuff. That's true freedom. That's ultimate freedom without morality. That's ultimate freedom without the gospel. And our founding fathers did not design it that way. And so they said, well, as long as we're a Christian nation as, as a whole, everything's going to be cool. If we get away from the Christian nation thing, you guys are going to be in big trouble. And one of the founding fathers said, so you have a republic if you can keep it. And we can't. We can't keep it because we're immoral and because we've turned our back on God. Starting way back, you can put your finger on any particular date, starting around 1900, and you'll see this great falling away that's occurred since then. The shepherds quit shepherding. It's not all the shepherds' fault. It was partly their fault. If you remember Aaron in the wilderness, what did he do? We talked about it this morning. It just got brought up because of the graven image thing. But, but Aaron, he was the shepherd. Moses was the higher shepherd. And in God, the ultimate shepherd. Moses is with the Father. He's speaking face to face as one friend talks to another. And Aaron's down here shepherding the people. What happens? The people put influence on Aaron. We're not happy. We want to be like we were in, in um uh, Egypt, where we could live as paganly as we wanted, have sex with anyone we wanted, drink as much as we wanted, live however we wanted. And, and Aaron said, before you get all crazy, we'll make you something to kind of get you in the mind of who God is, okay? And so he, everybody give me an earring, and he collects up some gold, and he makes this. He says that he just cast it into the fire, <clears throat> excuse me, and it came out as this uh, Baal uh, bull, 
not the truth, but whatever. He's not prone to the truth sometimes. That's because he's a man, right? So the shepherd was led astray by the sheep who led the sheep astray. The shepherd wasn't a strong shepherd. He didn't do what he should have done and said, you guys better cool it right now or I'm going to call daddy. And he's going to come down there and he's going to spank y'all. That's what he should have done. But he didn't. He took it in his own hands and he led him in the wrong way. Tragic. So the potential judgment beginning at the house of God comes as a result, number one, of shepherds shepherding poorly, leading poorly, um, doing ministry in ways trying to attract all people instead of caring for the sheep. There's two groups of people in any fellowship and in the world, and that's the sheep and the goats. God says he's going to divide the two, the sheep and the goats. Trust me, if you're a goat, that's not good. To be a sheep is to be of God's people, God's holy people, God's set-apart people, God's Christian people, those that follow Christ, those that follow the Messiah. Those people are the sheep. Those that do not are the goats, and they will be separated. And the shepherd has to be able to identify those two. And what's happened in the churches here in First Peter, and likely in our country, is a lot of the shepherds have tried to appeal to both the goats and the sheep. And that's why you got churches with bounce houses out front and, you know, all the, I'm not dogging the music at any other church or any other thing, but trying to attract all people into your fellowship, it just doesn't work because what you end up with is half goats and half sheep. And then the goats have as much input as the sheep do, but they have no knowledge of who the most high God is. So you got goats talking about goat things and sheep talking about sheep things, and the shepherd is trying to shepherd both. And what it ends up with is a failure in a church. You can have a big church with lots of people, and that's exciting. We like to see growth in numbers. We like to see more people come. But the game is not to see more people come that are dead in their trespasses and sin, but that are alive, born again in the gospel of Christ. That's the game. It has nothing to do with the care of the goats. It's the care of the sheep. The shepherd's got to care for the sheep. The problem is, is that sheep bite. And so part of the problem is, is that we got a shepherd shepherding poorly and the other is sheep straying to whatever catches their eye. And this brings a complete, ultimately, a complete falling away in a culture. When you had a lot of people that were sheep, a large, larger percentage of the nation that was sheep, it was okay. But we have two conflicting, you know, you can't even, you can, but it's very rare. You can cross a sheep and a goat, it's very rare for the offspring to live, like one in a thousand, they don't live. You've got to have one or the other. Goats make goats, sheep make sheep. You try to cross up sheep and goats, and you've got a bunch of whatever you want to call it. Um, huh? Mutants, yeah, thank you. A bunch of mutants. I didn't want to use the wrong word, but let's look at 2 Corinthians 5 for just a second. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. After we beat you down, we'll give you some hope. How about that? First, the stripes. Then the ice cream. First, 2 Corinthians 5, go to verse 10. Well, we can start at 9. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Therefore, me, the shepherd, Paul, the shepherd, Peter, the shepherd, Timothy, Titus, the shepherd, um, James, the shepherd, John, the shepherd, therefore, we, all of them, make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, of Messiah, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Look what it says, people. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah. All, all y'all. Yuns is here. That's the technology for here, terminology. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord... We persuade men, we beg men, we beseech men. But we are all, well, we are, us, we, the we of our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, this we, we are well-known to God. And I also trust we're well-known in your consciousness. I pray that you know that what I'm telling you right now is the truth, that every man, every woman, every person here of age that, what well, they used to say, age of accountability, those old enough to understand the gospel and to make a decision on it, every one of those has to stand before Messiah at his judgment seat and be judged. It says for what? 
for the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. As a believer in Christ, and if I'm going to be judged first in the church, and I'm going to be judged first for the things that I do in my own body personally, so the church is going to be judged for its work, the individual person standing before God, and it says in Ephesians that the man must present his wife holy, blameless, spotless, just like Christ will present the church. So as a husband, as a father, you have a requirement to present your wife, washing her daily in the Word. So as a father and a husband with your children, before they reach the age where they can uh, account for what they are as people, you're going to have to give an account for them. Did you pray with them? Did you pray over them? Did you teach them the Bible as best you could? Did you show them the right way? Did you teach them these things were wrong? Did you talk about God? Did you lead them in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake? Did you do those things? If you didn't, guess what? There's going to be a day where you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, good or bad. That's terrifying to me. And I hope you're scared to death right now, too. However, 2 Corinthians, same, it's just right there beside it. Look at verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. There's going to be an accounting of your days as a person on earth, as a believer, as an unbeliever. As a believer, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to say, uh, come on in. You could have done better. <laughs> have some stripes. Here's some crowns. As an unbeliever, he's going to cast you into the outer darkness and say, I, you have no part of what I have here. Depart, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. I never knew you. And he's going to cast you into the lake of fire that's never quenched, the Bible says. But look at 4, verse 14. Verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he, Christ, who, uh, um, he, the Father, who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ, will also raise us up with Christ and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. How many old, crusty, outward perishing people we got? <laughs> Poor Bobby this morning, she's like, oh, I got this tins thing on my back, you know. Somebody else is like, oh, my, or, or I seen Kurt over there gimping in on one leg. We're, the outward part is falling away. It's breaking apart. And, and that's not the part that's going to be judged, by the way. The, the shell of what a man is, it stays here, it goes in the dirt. And the soul and the spirit, that is the part that lives forever. And that's the part that will be judged. What you did with this body that affected your soul and spirit, that will be judged, but the body won't be judged. It won't even be there. You'll have a new body, and that will be judged. But this is such a blessing, such a hopeful thing. This all things are for your sakes. All this, the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that your sins were left in the grave with him in the grave and that you too were raised from the dead if you believed in Christ, confess with your mouth that Jesus was Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You left your sin in the grave with Christ. Well, he left it there. And what's left of you, the soul and the spirit, all these things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. This morning, Markelson was up here praying, and he started just going through the list of the stuff he was thankful for. Air conditioning in July, very thankful for that. Heat in December, you know, uh, fast food, everybody likes a good quick hamburger. All the things that we've been blessed with that we don't consider Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. If it's good, it came from the Father. If it's bad, like Starbucks, came from the evil one. I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't know where you're at on Starbucks. But the pro, if it's good, it came from the Father. It came, maybe it came through the imaginations of men, but God gives it to men that men can produce it. Just like the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. He gave the blueprint to the man, and the man was able to produce it. He downloads the blueprint, and the man can make this beautiful art. And the, and the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the cherubim and all the stuff that the guy made uh, out of hammered gold and beaten gold and formed gold and all this stuff. God put the blueprint in there. God put the blueprint in Michelangelo's mind, in Da Vinci's mind, and they were able to make those things. 
It wasn't that Da Vinci was so special or Michelangelo or, or Rembrandt or whoever the guy was or any artist. It's that God put the imagination in his mind and the man was able to produce it. And most of those guys gave God the glory for it. They knew it didn't come from them because every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. It comes from the grace having spread through the many. So Peter tells whoever, Paul hears it from Christ on the road to Damascus, but then he tells Apollos, and Apollos tells, you know, um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila tell Apollos some aspect of it, and, and this person tells that person, they tell Lydia, and they tell Cornelius. And through that, the grace abounds and more and more people have a greater and greater impact for the gospel. Every person in here, each one of us, so I have this impact of ever how many people here this morning, maybe 45, 50 people. Right? I have this impact that I speak to you the words of life. Each one of you will contact this many people plus this week. And you have the same opportunity to make the message that's spoken this morning abound in the people of Cumberland County or wherever it is you live. Because you have the same content. Now, whether or not you choose to use that, it's up to you. But you heard the word. You heard the very word of life, and you have the opportunity to produce it further, or you can do the opposite. You can take something negative and produce that and magnify that by saying something negative. And it can be produced through the contact. I say something negative to Markelson. Markelson talks to his 15 people. Well, Pastor Dale was saying this negative thing, da-da-da. And then it goes to those 15. Each one of them 15 tell 15 people. And before long, 8 billion people heard what Pastor Dale said on Sunday morning. And so we have the ability through the Word of God, hearing, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, um, the gospel, feet shod with the gospel of peace. How will they hear without a preacher? You heard it. But what happens when the preacher tells it to you and you never tell it to anyone else? Then it dies with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many. They kept talking. They kept proclaiming the grace that had fallen on them. And it went to more, and it went to more. Or it can die in one generation. You know, patriotism has died in one or two generations in our country because nobody thinks it's cool to be patriotic. I mean, they would rather fly the gay flag than the American flag. I don't want to get off track on that, but what happened to flying the American flag on July 4th? Man, once a year for a couple of days, stick it up there. But, but we've been told that it's foolishness to, to do that. Why would we care about the country? I'll tell you why. Because you were born here. Go be born in Peru and you'll see what I'm saying. Eat a, lo a little roll of bread every day for your meal and you'll be like, wow, the United States is pretty good. I get all the hot dogs I want on the 4th of July. I can have 10 of them if I want. All the watermelon I want. All the whatever I want. We're un Man, the abundance of our country is great. We should love our country. We can mourn for our country and what it could have been. But we can still be patriotic about it the point is is it depends what we say and how it gets produced over and over you got to think about the context of the people that you're speaking to and that's exactly where it goes here in chapter five we can see the working of a good shepherd humanly speaking in peter we see the the bad shepherds there of jeremiah that quit proclaiming the good word who quit proclaiming the commandments of God, who quit proclaiming the directives of God, and they started being selfish. A lot of those priests, if you remember Eli and his two sons, they were taking the best cuts of the lamb when the lamb was brought in. And even the people said, you're not supposed to take those. Those are supposed to be sacrificed to the Lord. And they're like, shut up, man, I'm taking this. This is mine. If you want me to pray for you, you better just keep it yourself. Don't tell anybody I'm taking this cut. And eventually God removes them. But the damage is already done because the priest, the priesthood was defiled. The pastor, the pastorships of, of many churches has been defiled. And we'll see how when the pastors, when the shepherds no longer shepherd as God called them to shepherd, the people are going to perish. The sheep are going to perish. Let's read chapter 5. We're back in 1 Peter now, chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. We're just going to read 1 through 5. The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. Remember, Peter is writing this to other people. He's not talking about himself. He's using himself as an example, 
He's not talking about himself. I want you to shepherd the flock that surrounds you. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory, which does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We're going to pick up there next week, but Peter's saying, as an elder, let me advise you in the best practices of eldering. Let me show you how to be the best possible elder. In Acts 12, um, Peter is demonstrated to have dealt with an assortment of terrible things. It says in Acts 12, I'll, I'll tell you about it, King Herod had already killed James and John, and now he wants to kill Peter, so he gets Peter arrested. And this is where Peter's chained up between the two guards, and the angel comes in the middle of the night and breaks the chains and walks him out of the prison, and Peter thinks he's having a dream, and the girl Rhoda won't let him in the house. That's that story, okay? So Peter has ex experienced angry sheep, disgruntled sheep, <laughs> budding sheep. Uh, he's experienced persecution. He's experienced false teachers that have spoken against him. He's experienced uh, the, the Judaism part of the, of the fellowship that knows God but doesn't know or knows of God but doesn't know God. He's experienced all those things, you know. And so he has, he's the right guy to give advice to a church that's under persecution and needing a good elder. So all of us, I'd say a majority of us at one time or another has been in one church or another. You just happen to be here this morning to hear in this church and to hear from this pastor in particular. But we all have been in different pastors. Um, Peter is saying to all those pastors, I pray that they've all read this book at some point, or Titus or Timothy, and that they've all tried to measure themselves by the standard that Peter's talking about, or Paul and Titus to Titus and to Timothy. But um, not all sheep are easy to be led. Not all flocks are easy to be led. Um, and, and this applies both to the shepherd and to the sheep. You say, well, I'm not a shepherd. I don't know why you're talking about shepherding this morning. Loretta, I turned it up a little, and now it is roasting up here, just so you know. I'm glad you're comfortable down there because it is hot right here. God is putting that pressure on me like, yeah, don't, uh, don't mess this up. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Be careful, son. Uh, so if I'm not a shepherd, then why would you try to teach me this as a doctrine? Why would it matter? But if you're not a shepherd, then that makes you a sheep, right? And as a sheep, um, you can be one of two kinds. You can be a gentle one, or you can be the one that kicks and bites and needs a good shearing. It just depends on the sheep, right? Uh, anybody ever dealt with them? They're frisky. They, they'll work you. And they're, they'll get away, and they'll get caught in the fence. They're, they're ridiculously dumb. And, they're, and they were literally put on earth to be food for something else. Everything kills sheep. Dogs, coyotes, wolves, eagles, hawks when they're babies. Everything kills them. They're just wimpy. And that's you. That's why God used it as a, as a picture. Because that's what we do. We stray away. We get caught in the fence. We, we, we look at the grass on the other side and think it's better to get our head caught in the thing. I had to tape a thing on the goat horns because he kept sticking his head through the fence and then he'd sit there and cry for four hours. So I had to tape a piece of PVC pipe on his horns to keep him from sticking his head through the fence. We're dumb. It's what we do. We do dumb stuff. So as sheep, uh, you know, you have some stake in the game here. You can help the shepherd or you can help him be beat down. It really depends on you. So it first says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. So the first thing, he's encouraging the shepherds. I, who am a fellow elder, so the pastor, the elder, whichever you want to use for the church, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there in the day-to-day, -day, saw Christ in all those things. And he was a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. In the ultimate day, when he passes away with us, with Peter, it's kind of hard to believe that we will see him on that day with Christ. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. So the first command is just needing to recognize who his sheep are and the sheep needing to recognize who their shepherd is. And I know there's different personalities that are, you know, in shepherds and sheep 
that kind of appeal to one another. But the main thing with the shepherd that you're looking for, Regina, back there, when you're looking to find a shepherd, you're going to go back to Florida or wherever you Do you live in Florida, Georgia? Yeah. Wherever you're going uh, is find one whose primary goal is teaching the word as close as possible to how it's written. He's not, uh, I heard this, it was really good. The, the pastor, he's not a chef. He doesn't get to go to, the, to the, the back and take all the words and spice it up and make a fancy meal. All he is is the waiter. He brings the word of God that he gave to him and he hands it to the people for them to eat. You don't get to jazz it up with fancy stories and, 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 and little rhymes and riddles and make it say what you want it to say. It says what it says. We need pastors that preach the word in season and out of season like it's wrote. And if they're not, then you need to run from him and find a better pastor. It's okay to do that. A lot of people have gone to church for years and keep hoping the church is going to turn around, and, and they're wrong to do that. They need to research and find a pastor that's preaching the word and the true word of God, the New Testament word, the Old Testament word, the whole word of God as close as he can, as best he can, with the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, and find that guy. Attach yourself to that guy. And in general, I don't know if those guys have particularly large churches because it's hard for a shepherd of a large flock to maintain the flock. And I think maybe that's a, a truth that I'm starting to realize. It's really hard to maintain, you know, 2,000 sheep. You'll never know what's going on with your sheep, never. You'll have sheep dying everywhere. Man, I had a flock of nine goats, and I'd have one keel over quite often. I just had nine. I mean, I can't imagine having 2,000. And so you've got to be watching them. You've got to be taking care of them. You've got to be giving them their shots and giving them their food and giving them their water. You've got to take care of them. So following Messiah himself, that's the main doctrine the guy should be working on. If he's doing anything other than that, if it's a bunch of rah-rah, if the guy's the kind of personality that he's just very charismatic, he's selling himself all the time, you know, selling T-shirts and selling programs, and things, be careful. I'd say he's, not a, he's one of these other ones that you'll see. This true shepherd is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So what is the motivation of the pastor in the house of God or in the church of God, whatever you want to call it? It needs to be the care and fleeting of feeding the care and feeding of the flock. If it's anything other than the maintenance of the flock, driving the flock back into the fold, and the fold, remember, I am the door, with Christ as the door, he ought to be driving them back in there with Christ as the door every Sunday, and Christ is sitting in the door, and he's speaking to them. And then he lets them back out into green pastures, or into crummy pasture like our culture is now. But every, every night they got to come back to the door. And they got to go back inside the fold where it's safe. That's what he should be doing. I've had a number of people ask me this. Are you burned out? Aren't you burned out? Are you burned out? Man, if you're burned out after two, three, five, seven years, it's, it's a you problem. One of a couple things has happened. Number one, you weren't called to be a pastor. Number two, you got some really, really mean sheep. Um, or number three, he's pastoring, the person is pastoring in their own strength. And I'm telling you, I've had times where I've had some mean sheep, and they'll get you down. And I might have got tired, but I wasn't burned out. Because if you're called to do it, you'll do it whether they pay you or not. And if you're not called to do it, and you're going to try and do it, what the Bible says in the King James, for filthy lucre, well, then you're not going to be satisfied with this sheepfold or the next one. That's how a, it's a kind of a joke, but do you know how a pastor knows that he's been called to another church? They offer him more money. That's how, that's how he knows it's the Spirit talking, right? If they offer you more money, then, then you've been called to this other church. That's the game. If that's the mindset, then the motivation is wrong. That pastor, I promise you, I don't care if they're paying him a million a year because he's the world's best pastor, he is going to be one burned-out guy because he's a faker. And he's not doing it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. He's doing it in his own power. Careful. Be careful. I understand tired. People can get you down, but burned out something else. I know it's a possibility. I've heard of pastors, you know, you pastor for 40 years, and, and you know, these poor guys, I, I just remember a, a missionary one time had mission, been in Africa somewhere, and in like 25 or 30 years there, he finally came back to the States. He had never seen a single person come to the gospel, come to faith in Christ. 
and he was just discouraged. And, a, and another guy went there and filled this thing, and people were getting saved like crazy. <laughs> and the reality was he was just, he was laying the foundation. And he didn't recognize his role, maybe. But he was still doing the work of a minister, and it got him down. I can see that. But that's not burned out. That's just beat up, maybe. So the pastor that's doing it, regardless of pay, number of sheep, size of building, or budget, because he's been called by God to that position, he's not going to get burned out, maybe at the 40-year mark. I could see that. You get tired. But I don't know if it's burnout. And it says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Or the King James, like I said, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He should be doing it. He should be coming eagerly. Believe it or not, and I, I know it probably sounds strange to my kids and my wife even, but um, and, and they have seen uh, people beat me up and things like that. And I'm like, why do you keep going over there? Because <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, when you finally find what you're supposed to do, you've got to do that thing, whatever it is. And, and it's, not, it's not in relation to how you guys treat me of what I'm going to do because I feel like I've been called by God to do this. Peter was saying the same thing to this, whoever this guy is, that they're trying to get to be the elder. He's like, it's not, it's not going to be all sunshine and roses and cherries and good. Sometimes it's a beatdown. And I was thinking about, Miss Mary was talking about that in, in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Where, the, where ultimately they didn't take the sheep and burn the sheep at the stake, they burned the pastors at the stake. But that's when the sheep came in. And they stood on the sides of the road while they escorted the pastor to the, to the stake. And they were saying, remember Psalm chapter 3? Remember that, that there's a hope at the end. Remember that you're standing firm for the glory of God. Raise your hands if his, if his, uh, if his grace is sufficient. And so the one pastor, you know, he's on fire and he raises his hands. Was his grace sufficient? Thank you, pastor. It's, it's, the pastor does what he does. If he's a good pastor, if he's a good shepherd, if he's a good elder, he, he takes care of the flock entrusted to you, but not for dishonest gain or not because he's made to under compulsion. That's the other word it says, under compulsion. You can't. Because if you are, you won't last. There was, in, in Acts chapter 8, there was a man, Simon the sorcerer. Let me read you this quick. It was um, interesting. He's the exact picture. And these guys exist. One of the guys' names that I, always comes to mind because it's so ridiculous, Cash Luna. And his name is Cash Luna, and his son's name is Cashita, or Cashito, little Cash. Change, I guess. And, uh, I mean, his whole thing is, if you give me money, your life will be better. Pitiful. Uh Let's see here. It's in 8. Where are you? Verse 13. Then Simon, one of these sorcerers, also believed, 8 verse 13 in Acts, Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Listen, verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was passed, he offered them money, saying... Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. This Simon guy, he's just the one that got caught. There's countless pastors that are this way, tragically, in our culture, and it's one of the reasons that many people are driven away from the gospel. Do not let the actions of a man drive you away from God. There's good pastors, there's good teaching on, on the internet, you know, David Jeremiah or Charles Stanley or Chuck Swindoll or... Or, or any number of them. And you can find those guys and you can listen to them and they can give you the good word. You don't have to send them a penny. It's free. 
Just listen to them. Armstrong, Stephen Armstrong, um, B.J. Lights. There's all these, they're, they're there. You can get the true gospel, and it's for free. If it's not for free, then it's tainted. These guys shouldn't be charging for the gospel. Shame on them. And last it says, being examples to the flock. So I'm about to come to conclude in, you know, I always heard that in the Marine Corps, you know, lead by example. If you lead by example, you know, your men will follow you. That's not always, that's rarely true, in fact. It does happen, but there's a reason it's usually lone rangers get the, gold, the Medal of Honor. It's because they ran out there by themselves and, you know, fired up the gun pit or blew up the artillery piece or whatever, and nobody followed them. It's when they came back, they're like, man, that was brave. But they ain't following. Lead by example, it works to an extent. You might see a person that you greatly admire and want to be like him. I heard a man say that about another pastor. See all this that I'm doing? The reason I do that is because Pastor Tony always did that. But that guy didn't have the same ministry as Tony, and it didn't actually work out for him in the long run. It may just be our current culture where we don't have any regard or respect for those that work hard and do things. Uh, And at the same time, well, in our culture now, we see somebody uh, working hard rather than pitch in. We'll like pitch a tent over here and critique them while they're working. And it's no longer do we like see what he's doing and help him. You've got to say, hey, come over here and help me. And that's how, it's, that's how it's become. But a pastor that's easily swayed by the times or one that's lazy or one that's a great speaker but produces no fruit, I've seen those. I've seen ones that were great musicians and singers and and things like that, and people are very attracted to them by their things. But the guy's personal life is a wreck. Man, run from that guy. His motivation is wrong. Aaron's greatest failure was letting the sheep dictate what he did. Sometimes you're not going to like the direction the pastor leads. It's been a problem here. It's been a problem at every church. Instead of, instead of going where the pastor's going or saying, hey, pastor, can you tell us why we're going this direction? You know, well, I feel like God's really led us to go this direction. Instead, they'll, they'll bow up against you or try to turn part of the flock away. When you see that, you need to be very careful on what side you choose. You've got to be careful. Even as a sheep, you've got to be a good Berean. You've got to hear the word, measure the word, see who's saying it, listen carefully, and go back to the word and, and see if what they told you was true. And so, like I said, the last thing is this poor sheep. In many cases, the elder or the shepherd doesn't get to choose the sheep. A lot of you that have come here have come here for one reason or another. I don't know how you got here. Um, some came during COVID. Some followed us leaving um, Central. Some w- wanted to be a part of planning a church. Some came because you moved here and needed a place to go to church, found online. Some came because of a, a death in the family. Different people came by different means. And so I can't really speak to how you got here. Sometimes the sheep choose the shepherd. And that's not necessarily bad. But it says here in verse 5, uh, second, or 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. And then it says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed in humility, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a two-parter. The first thing is, remember that between the shepherd and the sheep, it's a team effort. We're all seeking to have the mind of Christ. The shepherd, hopefully, is studying the Word or putting some effort into studying the Word and trying to hear from God, spending time in prayer or listening or whatever. And then, and then he brings it to the sheep, and then the sheep receive the Word. But, it's, but the sheep have the option, and they have the option to take the food that was given to them and eat it or to reject the food. And when they reject the food, they end up in conflict with the pastor, with the shepherd, with the body. Because you got all these sheep over here eating watermelon, you got one over here eating cantaloupe. Before long, you got conflict. I don't know why that works. It's just how it works. They are vegetarian sheep. They eat the the fruits of the field. And these sheep got to remember they need to hear with regard the care and the love that the shepherd has for them. And when they receive that, you would think that generally in return they would return the care and love for the pastor. In, in South America, one of the big problems is a lot, of the, a lot of the pastors are starving to death because they're trying to pastor churches and their kids have the worst clothes and they have terrible tennis shoes and they have maybe no shoes and no food. And if the pastor says anything to the people, they say, well, we're not doing that great either. 
um, and you expect us to help you survive? And so what the pastors do is they end up stepping away from the pulpit because the sheep starve them out. So the pastor needs to receive some kind of recompense from the sheep. I'm not asking for a salary here. What I'm asking for is the love in return for the love he gave to them. If the pastor's kids need shoes, then the people, the sheep, should buy them some shoes. The pastor shouldn't have to go and beg on the streets to buy shoes for his children. So this submission to the elders, it's hearing what the elders said. If his best spirit is for your best spirit, then you should be able to follow that guy. If his spirit is very self-focused and he's working on stuff for himself and he's building a big fine house and got all this stuff going on, then you need to be careful. That guy's not on your team. The sheep and the pastor need to be on the same team. The sheep need to hear and regard the voice of the shepherd. They need to be wise in the word. They need to know what the Bible says about particular things. They don't need to be led astray because shepherds are fallen people just like the sheep are. But at the same time, with the mind of Christ, the unity of believers, with the mind of Christ, there's no limit to what the church of God can produce. There's no limit. So I was going to tell you one last thing. You know the one thing that the Bible doesn't describe in any of the sheep shepherding um, analogies is a sheepdog. Um, you, know, you know what a sheepdog is? The blue heelers and all those where they chase around the sheep and bite them on the heels and they're real rascally. And you see them in England, you know, they actually run across the back of the sheep and, and they get them to pack into the, into the pens and stuff. There's no place in God's word for a sergeant at arms. There's no place for a disciplinarian uh, role of an individual deacon or something for the body. And the reason is, it's just like I was talking about the Constitution. The reason is, is the assumption is it's God-fearing people caring for God-fearing people. And if we all have the mind of Christ, there should be no need for some guy to be laying lashes on the back of the sheep because they, whatever, the ladies didn't wear a dress to church or the men didn't wear a, a suit to church or whatever, whatever the, whatever the legalistic thing is that the guy needs to enforce. There's no place for a sheepdog. The sheep acting with the mind of Christ, the deacons serving with the heart of Christ, and the pastor, elder, teaching, leading with the desires of God as his primary mainstay should create a, a body of perfect unity, beautiful unity um, of believers, all striving together for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's how it should be. And it should be very gentle and, and sweet. We have a really nice fellowship now i do got to say it's it's very loving and very pleasant it's enjoyable to come and we see each other as friends that's why we have to say um, when we're singing like sit back down <laughs> that's where the sheepdog comes in we need the guy that lashes you back into your chair everybody's so excited about hugging each other and speaking to one another and encouraging one another and i'm telling you that's a rare little animal right there been to a lot of churches where i haven't seen that for sure i would like to talk about this more but we got to change subjects because we're going to do something big this afternoon, something that's going to add to the sheepfold today. And that is we're going to have a baptism at Lake Tansy. And um, I was hoping we was going to do two or three. How many are we doing now? Are we down to one? One poor little sheep. The other sheep were fearful. Two sheeps? Double sheep. That's what I'm talking about. Double sheep. That's good. Well, anyway, maybe we get Linda in there. Get your swimsuit, Linda. I want to tell you about two, I want to tell you about baptism first while we're here together because I know some won't make it over there. Um, but I just want to talk to you about baptism for just a second. In the book of Acts, it is the, well, we were talking about this morning. Did I talk about that in Sunday school with uh, Mark and his uh, God's got a lot of good stuff going on? Was that in Sunday school? I think it was. Um, mind like a steel trap. Just know what you're dealing with here, people. Okay, so me and Mark are talking a while back, and, and he came up with this one. I've modified it and made it my own, but I will give Mark the credit on this one. But he said, a lot of times we pray, and we want to answer immediately, you know. And the reality is, is that God's got a lot of stuff going on, and you've got to give him a minute. There's a lot of things going on in different countries, different places, and he brings it all together to make the thing happen for you that's going to answer the prayer for you or develop the, the deal in you. And uh, so give him a second. Well, God didn't answer my prayer. I was in despair. Well, it took you six months to get there. Man, at least give him a week to get you out. But the point is, is in, in Acts chapter 10, is an incredible story. Peter is in his 
abode praying. And this man named Cornelius, he's in his abode over here praying. Cornelius is of the Gentiles. He's not a Jew. Cornelius was a man who sought after God. And so while Cornelius is praying over here, a vision comes to Peter over here. And it says that they're four days apart. It's, it's 10 verse 30. It says, Cornelius said four days ago I was fasting. If you go to Acts uh, 10 and start there with, um, uh, let's see. Uh, so it starts with uh, Cornelius. And it says, um, and he, let's see, the ninth hour of the day, Peter Oh, no, first it was Cornelius. At the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius has a vision of this angel, Cornelius. He tells him, ask for Peter. Okay. He's lodging with Simon. The next day, verse 9, as they went on their journey, drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So this is the second day, okay? First day was Cornelius praying. This is the second day, Peter going up. He becomes very hungry, wants to eat. And while he was, the people were making ready with the meal, it says, verse 10, he fell into a trance. And the Lord lowers down this carpet with all these animals on it. It says, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, I'm not going to eat all those things. I've been clean since my youth. I'm a good Jew. And, and the Lord tells him three times, because that's what he has to do because we're dumb. And he says, eat the stuff that's on the carpet. And Peter says, okay. Verse 17, now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, this is verse 17, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And this is really neat, verse 19. Look what it says. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Isn't that neat? God's working over here with Cornelius, and he's working over here with Peter. And he's going to bring the two of them together to accomplish his will for his glory. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So he's seen the food. He's trying to figure out what all these unclean foods means. And, uh, and then God sends him this person. Cornelius is praying over here. Peter's praying over here. It's the craziest thing. Peter went down to the men that had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am him whom you seek. I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? They said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by the holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And they invited them in and lodged there. So Peter lets them stay the night on the next day. Here we are, day three. Peter went away with them, goes to Joppa. On the following day, verse 24, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius is waiting for them. And had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know, Peter speaking to the Gentiles, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago, we saw the days. Peter's praying over here. Cornelius praying over here four days ago. I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Then he gives him the gospel, starting in verse 37. The word you know, that which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began with Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him, Messiah, Hamashiach, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead 
and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. And while Peter was still speaking in words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision, the Jews, who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God and Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. This is an amazing story. How God is working on both sides to get his will accomplished for Cornelius and his family and his friends. Now i got to tell you another story. This is the Dale version of what I know about Ray Millette. About 20 years ago, Ray was in his house, more or less. Meanwhile, another man was at a church waiting, but he didn't know he was waiting, but he was waiting. Ray was at his house. He said, I'm looking out the window, and he started crying. He said, I don't even know why I'm crying. But I know I need something, and I'm lost. And he called a pastor at another church, a friend of mine, and he said, I need somebody to tell me about how to get saved. And so over the phone, I believe, you, was it over the phone you meet him? Yeah, he met him. He leads him to the gospel, leads him to Christ, and Ray is saved. Up to this point, Hallelujah. Ray lives as a man lives. He worked, he was a... Uh, a union man, worked ever how long as a union man, had his kids, um, married, divorced, married. Um, kids are living different lifestyles of, of whatever, not necessarily Christians, maybe moral, maybe not. But Ray gets saved, and Ray got baptized. And Ray starts praying for his family, 20 years, 20 plus years now. And we've seen all of his sons, one that was addicted to drugs, we've seen all of his sons come to the gospel, be saved. Seen all his sons baptized, right? We've got them all baptized now. Vast majority of his kids and grandkids are now saved because of the ministry that God worked in Ray, that he was working on Scott over here, that put them together that he could receive the gospel, that Ray could get saved, that Ray could get baptized, that Ray could give the gospel to them, they could see a changed life in Ray, and that his kids could be saved. Is that not amazing? And now, we're down to grandkids and great-grandkids, and they're getting saved, and they're getting baptized. If Ray never receives the gospel, does it get, like we saw earlier that in, in Corinthians, does it get, does the grace pass on abundantly through the generations? I don't know. Maybe not. But because Ray received the gospel, fathers, you are very important. Because Ray received the gospel, it's been passed on to the generations. And, and now, even his kids are like, I want to be baptized. Why? Because I'm going to change teams. <laughs> I was on the wrong team. A man who knows that he is saved by believing in Christ does not, when he is baptized, lift his baptism into a saving ordinance. In fact, he is the very best protester against that mistake because he holds that he has no right to be baptized until he is saved. Charles Spurgeon. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. I kind of like that one. Baptism is faith in action. That's Watchman Nee. God's people should be baptized because God commanded it, not because the church requires it. It said in Acts chapter 2 with Peter, he gives them the line, and, and they end up with this saying, um, they say, uh, it says uh, right here in chapter 2, verse uh, 39, this promise is to you, Ray, this promise is, let me start at verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise to you, Ray, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Think about that. Ray's living in Tennessee and in his Florida people receive the gospel through that and then they get saved, and then they desire baptism, and they desire it, and they want to go to church, and they want to read the Bible, and they want their kids to be saved, and they want them to be baptized, and it, and it carries on. He's the anchor man. He set the anchor on the rock of Christ, and it's continuing on through his generations. 
And with many other words, he's testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Look at it in chapter 3 at verse 18. These things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Some of those people ask, what, what must we do to be saved? Because they had sinned so long against God. That was Ray in that day. What do I got to do? And that's actually how I met Ray over the, all them years ago. It's been 20-odd years ago now. And, um, and uh, Ray was such a pill, Scott threw him off on me. <laughs> and so from there, we started studying the Bible together and reading the Scriptures together and doing Bible studies together. And we've been on a couple, at least three mission trips to Peru. Even when he was about 80, we went to Peru, and he climbed the mountains and slid down the cliffs and did all the stuff, slept outside and, and fought off the mosquitoes. And his heart was changed for God. That's an amazing thing. So I'm excited about these that we're going to baptize today. And here's the, here's the whole story. Before we can baptize, we've got to know, you must know in your spirit, that you're saved. And the Bible makes it very simple. It tells us that, that if we've broken any of the commandments of God, we've broken them all. Jesus said if you break one jot or one tail of the law, you've broken the whole law, like an apostrophe mark. If you just messed up the apostrophe mark, put it in the wrong place, you broke the whole law. So I've got to ask you both, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever looked at someone of the opposite sex with lust in your eye? Have you ever committed blasphemy and speaking the name of God in an unholy and unwholesome way? Have you ever talked back to your mother and father? Have you ever wanted something that was someone else's? That's called covetousness. Of that little short list, I didn't even give you all ten. I just gave you about five there, five or six. Um, if you've broken any of them, you've broken them all. And the Bible says that no liars or thieves or drunkards, adulterers, sodomites, homosexuals shall have any part of the kingdom of heaven. That's scary stuff. But he says, if you'll repent, God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made a way that would make it for an unsaved, unsavable human to be brought into the presence of the Most High God and be saved. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no one righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. You're no different than anyone else. But God wants us to seek his face. And since we don't seek him well, he comes and finds us. And so someone like me or Markelson or someone else comes and tells you the gospel and you hear it and you rejoice in that knowing that you can't save yourself and if you've ever come to that moment, I pray that today is the day of salvation for you. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, save me. And I pray that you've had that experience at some point in your life. And we'll, we'll question you about that on the, on the riverside there. But if any is here today without the hope of salvation, he gives us an option. We don't have to accept Christ. He gives us an option. He's a good God. He's very gracious. He's not a bully. But he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But those that desire not to repent, he makes a place for you as well. It's not that great of a place, I'm going to tell you. It's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. All men will pass away and all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that day, we'll have to give a proclamation to God what I did in my body. And I can say, Lord, I didn't do much. But what I did do was I asked Jesus to save me. And it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing the Holy Spirit, which he poured out abundantly on us through Jesus Christ. Wow. Today is the day of your salvation. I pray that you'll accept the Lord today and seek his face while he can still be found. It's as simple, like I said, as praying that prayer and beginning believing with faith that he'll save you. Fathers, we come together this morning and we heard the word and I pray that these people heard and that they rejoiced in it. I pray that they're convicted of sin in their life that's holding them away from you, but only in the fact that it's keeping them from right relationship with you, not in sorrow and in guilt, but that they repent now and confess their sins to you because you're you're just gracious and you're just and you're righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And I pray that today would be the day of salvation for any that would have heard the word today and know that they don't have the right relationship with you, that it would be the starting point. And then they could go and be baptized today, taking off the uniform of the old man and putting on the uniform of the new, passing from death into life. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which gives us so many promises of goodness and salvation, Lord. I pray that we accept you while we still have time on this earth. Thank you for these that have come. Thank you for our nation, Lord. We pray for those in leadership over us, that they would repent while there's still time, that they would lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise that is due your name in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to stand together, if you would, and we're going to sing one more song here from the hymn book. Get the number again there. 276. 276. Yeah, if you've been saved and you've never been baptized, the day can be the day. It is about obedience. It's about being obedient to what God tells us to do. And we need to, man, so much of what we do, we do in our... Just in sin. 